Hello. Hey. How is everyone? I'm fine, thanks for asking. Oh, I'm so glad. How are you? I was <laughs> waiting for that. I forgot. <clears throat> I'm... That's how I am. Everyone forgets about me. I'm uh, I'm pretty good, actually. Slay. Nothing. Yeah, nothing I can talk about, but... But it's, it's getting all... better. It's getting better. Yeah. Immediately oh, knocking on wood. Yeah, please, everyone. I can't take any more. I'm Kate. And I'm Jane. And this is Creeps and Coffee. A show where we talk about the dark parts of the world around us. Cryptids, conspiracies, things that go bump in the night. And the crimes behind the scariest creatures of all. Humans. Join us as we take a look at the stories sure to give you the creeps. Pull up a seat, grab a coffee, and let's have a chat. I'm excited for aliens. I'm so excited for aliens. So I guess this is like for alien adjacent. <laughs> or is it? Dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> I guess first things first, before we even like get into the episode. Do you believe in aliens? I mean, I feel like there has to be. Correct. Correct answer. Do you? <clears throat> We all know my stance on aliens. We've all heard the, the Pyramids episode. And if you haven't, please go listen to our roundtable talk about the origins of the Great Pyramids. Um, I say nothing intelligent the entire time, but I talk a lot about aliens. Mm-hmm. There is, I will preface, there is an intelligent conversation that happens. It's just not, I'm just not involved in it. Not at that time. But this time, <laughs> but this time... I'm ready to have an intelligent conversation about aliens. I love talking about aliens so much. I saw a UFO one time. You've told me about it, haven't you? Probably. I don't remember. Do you want to refresh for me and the people? (laughs) I would love to. So my friend Liz and I, shout out to Liz, uh, because I know she listens. Um, We were on a walk one night, and there were these three, like, orange balls in the sky. And they were, like, in a triangle formation. Yeah, and they started, like, spinning around really weirdly. And Liz and I couldn't stop watching them. And then it got, like, really, really bright. I don't know. It was very weird. Mm. It was trippy. We still, every, like, probably, like, every six months, one of us will just randomly text the other and be like, remember that time in high school? Remember when we saw aliens? It was pretty pretty sick. When will it be my turn? One day. Thanks. I think Jamie's Jamie was abducted by aliens as a child. Explains a lot about who she is now. I wish. <laughs> yeah, I think before we start, I, I want to sort of reiterate the Fermi paradox. Please do. Just for those of us who are confused about it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like. Like other people, not me, ever. No, yeah, of course. Um. Just, like, the basic understanding of it is there's such a high probability for, like, extraterrestrial life, right? Because Uh the universe is ever-expanding, and there's so many planets and so much space. I'm sorry. Don't panic. (laughs) And 
the world is so vast. So why is it we have no evidence, no hard evidence that the government has provided to us? And like, we've been able to prove that that's the question. There is such a high probability that they exist. So why haven't we come across them? That is the ultimate question. And I think that's the big thing for me in my fervent belief in aliens Mm -hmm. is that there is so much out there. We cannot be the only planet or the only spot Mm -hmm. in the solar system that has intelligent life. And I also wouldn't put it past the governments to know about these things and not tell us. Hence the episode The Men in Black. Well, we're going to we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, we're going to hopefully but, talk about it a little yeah. bit more than a little. Well. <laughs> well, I mean, we're going to talk about the government aspect of it a little bit. But we're going to talk about The Men in Black a lot. Yeah. That's in case you in case you didn't read the title of this episode, we're talking about the Men in Black, not the hit blockbuster film starring Will Smith. I was going to say, I the love other guy. Will Smith. I don't remember who the other one was. I only saw it once. What? I, it was with you, actually. Oh. Is it, do you like mean Tommy Lee Jones? <laughs> yes. I don't know. If he's the other guy, then sure. You stress me out. Anyway, we don't mean that. We mean actual encounters with real-life men in black who are apparently trying to shut down discussion of alien life and UFO sightings. Aliens, aliens, aliens. Oh my god, what if... What if we get targeted for this? (gasps) If you're a man in black, email us at... The creeps and coffee. Yellow. No, email. don't give them our real email. I don't think I was saying the real one. <laughs> you weren't. <laughs> there are a few things in the paranormal universe that freak me out. One of them has to do with people, with certain entities showing up at your door mm. that will remain nameless. Do you want to mute while I, me- or take your headphones out while I say it? Yes, thank you. Hold on one moment. She's referring to the black-eyed children. Thank you, Jamie. I'm a child about it, but I will not apologize. Just in case nobody knows what we're talking about. <laughs> like, I, I didn't even... I literally closed my eyes and took out my headphones. I was going to say, I, I covered my mouth. <laughs> yeah. I got full chills at the thought of her saying it. So the men in black, which are different... Mm-hmm. Are like half as scary to me. They're also technically a conspiracy. Well, we're gonna get into that. Okay. (laughs) They're partially, some aspects are conspiracy, some are potentially paranormal, some are apparently extraterrestrial. There's lots of different theories on where they could possibly be coming from. The MIB. So, yep, precisely. Um, The MIB, if you will. But they tend. Nope. We're not going to call them that ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they kind of do the same thing that the creepy little fuckers do and just show up on your door. Mm. And I don't like that. No. Like, how did you know I live here? (laughs) So I 
on that note, I think I would like to potentially start off the show by talking about the first Man in Black encounter that I had ever heard of that got me interested in the Men in Black phenomena. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so, the first case I heard about the Men in Black happened to a man named Dr. Herbert Hopkins. So, Hopkins was a doctor, obviously, but by the title Dr. Herbert Hopkins. I'm an idiot. Um, he lived in Orchard Beach, Maine. And he had experience in the field of hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Wait, is this the whole guy? <laughs> You're gonna have to be more guy specific. Guy who dug a hole? Has someone... No. Okay. What? <laughs> there was a guy Jamie's who Jamie's dug... currently being abducted by a <laughs> There was a guy who, I can't remember, like, dug a hole near Area 51 or something. Nope. Wait, Not the doctor. I'm thinking a herald. Never mind. Mm. Okay. Sorry. Continue. Anyway. I'll be quiet now. So, <laughs> Dr. Hopkins was working with a patient named David Stevens, who was um, undergoing regression therapy and hypnotherapy for what he believed was an alien abduction. So, in October of 1975, David suffered from a period of missing time. So he saw a bunch of lights while he was driving late at night, and then all of a sudden, hours had gone by. And he fervently believed that he had been abducted by aliens. Which, uh, time screws with me anyway, so that the thought of missing time, I really do not enjoy. It's very unsettling for me. So Dr. Hopkins was working really, really closely with David to try and figure out what happened, see if he could remember anything. And he also had a little bit of an interest in the UFO stuff. So it was fascinating information to be collecting, whether it was for psychological purposes or not. So on the night of September 11th, 1976, around 8 p.m., uh, Dr. Hopkins was home by himself and he heard his phone ring. Someone was calling him from what they said was the New Jersey UFO Research Organization. And he had questions about the Stevens case. He wanted to know what David had been saying. <clears throat> the only like problem was... Yes. <laughs> problem A, Dr. Patient confidentiality. Problem B, there is no New Jersey UFO research organization. That does not exist. Never has. <gasps> Hopkins, for some reason, did not question it, did not ask the man's name, did not think about Dr. Patient confidentiality, and invited this man to his home. He would never have done that. He, he and his wife both say he would never have done this before. Wow. And he realized that it was kind of odd but um well it was hold on let me he thought it was particularly odd because his own house had been broken into twice before so his whole family was very protective over who they let into their home especially strangers mm. 
So this random guy, they don't know how they got his number, whatever, calls and says, I want to talk about Stevens. And he's like, yeah, come on over. But he said it didn't feel like his decision. Very, very quickly, this person claiming to be from New Jersey showed up at his house. So because it was nighttime, we said it was like 8 p.m., Dr. Hopkins decided, oh, I'll go turn on the porch light for whenever this guy shows up. Because apparently he's coming tonight. Whatever. Goes to turn the light on. Guy's already there. I don't like that. Already at his door. I would like to point out, what what year did we say this was? 1976? Yeah, I guess. Cell phones are not readily available. He was not calling from a cell phone. Hopkins said there was no payphone or, like, telephone booth anywhere near his house to the point where that person could have called and then showed up within that time frame. There was no parked car anywhere near his house, aside from his own. Oh. And yet, he still let the man in his house. Brother! He was like, come on, come on in. This man supposedly, was wearing a suit and a hat, like the fedora-ish hat, that were completely black. He had, yes, Did he have an accent? A New Jersey accent? I don't know, actually. Okay. That's a great way to tell if somebody's lying about being from New Jersey. (laughs) I hate you so much. (coughs) Is he an alien or was he just a guy from New Jersey? New Jersey. Um, he, He had suede gloves on. They were gray. His skin was described as deathly white. And his body was skinny to the extreme. Much like mine in high school. That's an alien right there. Not (laughs) you. Not you. (laughs) That's an alien trying to tell y'all that aliens don't exist. Exactly. So I was saying when, what were we talking about? Where I was talking about the, the uncanny valley. Oh, it was Max Headroom. Where it's this humanoid thing that wants you to believe that it's human but something is just off Mm. he didn't have a single hair on his head when he took his hat off not even like that little bit of stubble that bald people get like it was just it was like a cue ball just nothing he had no eyebrows he had no eyelashes and he had very very bright red extremely thin lips there was a point when he took a sip from a glass of water that Dr. Hopkins gave him. And, or maybe it was a napkin. I don't quite remember. But he put something up to his mouth. And as it pulled away, Hopkins could see that it was lipstick. So, unsettling to think of this man in your home. Um, The family's dog also did not like this thing. Which was, I don't blame it. Um, if anyone was curious, uh, it was part German Shepherd and part Border Collie, and I think that sounds adorable. It ran off and hid in a closet the entire time the man was in the house. Aww. 
the man in black did not care. He immediately began to question Hopkins about Stevens and the alien encounter. He had no detectable accent. Oh. I did note. Oh. Which, as Jamie said, is a surefire sign to tell if he's from New Jersey. Does he have a New Jersey accent? So he's not from New Jersey. No. He was very monotonous, very robotic in the way that he behaved, the way that he spoke. Um, And then he got really sinister. So what he did was he took out, or he told Hopkins that he knew he had two coins in his pocket. Fucking weird. Are you a magician? I don't know. Mm. Hopkins was like, yeah, I do. He was like, take him out. Let me see him. So he put one coin in his hand. The man in black told him not to look at the man in black, but to keep his eye on the coin. And as he's looking at the coin, Hopkins watched the coin turn from a coin, as we've all seen, Mm -hmm. to this blue, blurry vapor, and then it disappeared. And he was like, oh, sick, that's a cool magic trick, how'd you do that? And then this man in black told him that Barney Hill, who was, for those of you who don't know, Um, the husband of Betty Hill, who was supposedly abducted by aliens in 1961. It was a super big alien abduction case. Um, That Barney Hill had died because he had no heart. Just like how Hopkins now had no coin. So they made his heart disappear. That's not true, by the way. He died from other things. But that's a pretty intense threat to receive. I would be scared. Hmm. But he said that he had to cut off all further communication with Stevens, stop looking into it, don't tell anybody about it, destroy all the evidence, and then all of a sudden, the man kind of shut down. His speech started to slow down, he was really unsteady, and then he told Hopkins that his energy was running low. And he had to go. Suddenly there was a very bright light in the driveway. And then the guy was gone. So he's an alien. I think so, personally. (laughs) But I remember hearing that and hearing the aftermath. There's a little bit more about it. It kind of, like his experience kind of goes on for about a week or two afterwards. Mm -hmm. Where it was kind of... Hopkins freaking out and trying to cover his own tracks but when I first heard that it was so unsettling to me and it was unsettling because it's so similar to those things that I will not say that Jamie told you guys about earlier Mm. where it's not your decision to let them in it's not your decision to process what they're saying you are being told to do something you are being compelled to do something and all of a sudden there's this stranger who's sort of in your mind and has the power to make you do whatever they want and they know it. That's icky. Right? It's unsettling. So that was my first experience with a Men in Black story. And then I kind of spiraled from there. Oh. (laughs) So that was like four years ago I first heard that story. 
And since then, <laughs> I just think men in black are fascinating to me. I have never not... met a man in black alien. Thank God. I, Thank God. I've met men dressed in black. As have I. I think black is a very <laughs> suitable color for everyone. Anyway, Jamie, what, what was your first experience hearing about men in black? What did you, what got you interested in it? Uh, definitely the movies. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, I think that's a lot of people's only exposure to like the thought of a man in black yeah. is the movies. Well, I kind of grew up watching it. Mm. I loved watching movies my dad loved watching when I was younger because it was like quality time and so that's why I love Iron Man and like the mm-hmm. Marvel movies and stuff. But like one of the older Indiana ones, Jones. Indiana Jones, good example. <laughs> um, what one of the older ones was the nineteen ninety seven Men in Black. Um, they've made a Is few. That one came out. Yeah. Same year as Titanic. Look at that. Oh, I didn't even know that. It's kismet. But I knew. I know they've made a few movies since then. I've seen them all, too. None as good as the first, of course. I've only seen the first. But that one's my favorite, and I, I think it's arguably the best. There's a dog in it, a pug. Um, I do remember that. Mm-hmm. And of course. I really enjoyed the the special effects, or like I guess the graphics mm. for like the aliens. Wasn't bad for 97. For 1997? Yeah. Yeah. And it was one of those ones that, like, I definitely could have had nightmares about it as a kid, but didn't because my dad was like, it's fine. (laughs) They're not real. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Aliens are indeed real. (laughs) See, I was the kid. Jamie knows this. Uh, You guys remember, (laughs) you guys know Scooby-Doo, right? Zombie Island? Not even Zombie Island. Do you remember (laughs) on old, like, Disney VHS tapes, they would have, like, the previews for upcoming films? Uh Uh-huh. And they announced Scooby-Doo versus Aliens or whatever, like the alien invasion. Oh. I remember that one. I had that one on a VHS tape. I cried so hard watching that for the first time. Because my dad thought it was funny that it scared me. And he started flicking the lights outside (laughs) on and off. And telling me that the aliens were coming to get me. Oh. And I... I had a bit of a breakdown as a child. And, um... I thought I was gonna shit myself. Mm -hmm. How scared I was. And then my mom got mad at him. And then I was never allowed to watch Scooby-Doo ever again. And I was scared of aliens from that point on. So that was his fault. Thousand percent. But the fact that I enjoy alien stuff as much as I do now shows a lot of growth. But yeah, the first time I watched, or the first time I heard about these men in black, Mm -hmm. I think I was like 16 and Mm -hmm. I was going through like a Pinterest hole or like, I was mm-hmm. going down an Instagram rabbit hole, and it was just one of those, mm-hmm. like, one-shot couple sentences, and I was like, oh, my God. And then I never really dug deeper than that, but. 
what's that like to not have to dive into things? I consume a lot of media, so if I do that, I would not have any time for the rest of my life. <laughs> that's why <laughs> that's why you guys will notice I have a lot of specific information about a lot of specific topics. And then Jamie will mention like a current event and I'm like, "What?" I just What are we talking about? You're really good at knowing everything about a topic and I'm good at knowing a very minuscule amount of every topic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you heard about that thing? Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. I'll ask questions and she'll go, I don't know. I I didn't look it up. I didn't read it. I'm like, well. And then that's what happens is then I, she tells me something interesting and then I have to deep dive into it because she doesn't have the answers. And then we both learn things. You're welcome. Exactly. And then we start a podcast so we can share all of that information at every level. Yeah. So I think, like, from from my story, or my story, from Dr. Hopkins's, Hopkins's story, mm. Herbert's story, mm. um, we get this kind of idea that a man in black is, like, this creepy, alien-like thing, entity. Mm. But there's a more general discussion about what a man in black could be. Yeah. And what might that be, Jamie? Well, to summarize kind of what you said, mm-hmm. but also to to add to it, uh, in media, people have also said, especially the UFO conspirators, those guys, <laughs> they claim that... The men in black are also quasi-government agents um, who, as we know, threaten, harass, interrogate, and question people who have witnessed things that they shouldn't have seen. But apparently they can also uh, memory wipe people, which Mm. I don't know how much of that is true, but... They're just trying to keep Maybe people silent. that's why silent. your memory is so bad. <gasps> that would make so much sense. <laughs> oh my god, we have to go. I understand everything. Um, but yeah, basically, in like a generic term, it's just somebody who's acting strangely, whose appearance is like directly at the scene of like a UFO sighting or like shortly after with the witnesses. Um mm-hmm. There's supposedly, they've been spotted also near supernatural events, um, Mm -hmm. alien sightings, UFO sightings, and Mothman sightings, apparently. Mothman. That's our boy. I think, I think our goal should be to try and include a discussion about Mothman in every single episode. It's definitely doable. It's very easy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah. And they're dressed in black. Yeah, I, that's, I mean, obviously, from the name. Yeah. Boom, done. What the typical man in black attire is going to be something that should be inconspicuous, but is somehow the most conspicuous. Like, it's always all black, well, like a black suit, black tie, black pants, black shoes, and then sometimes black glasses, like sunglasses, 
And then... Nobody dresses like that in day-to-day. But that's the thing. So they're described... They have different attributes based on, like, North America versus the UK. Oh. Like, the way people describe them? Yeah. Oh. Like, they're trying to fit into the demographic of the country they're in? Yeah. I can't find the specific quote that I was looking for. Peculiar. But there's... There's, like, different, like, clothing styles. More specifically, it's the style of hats that they wear and the types of cars that they drive. Obviously, if you were driving, like, an American-made car Mm. in the UK, it would stand out a little bit more. Yeah. But in terms of the Uncanny Valley stuff, they always seem to be driving a car that's, like, just a little bit out of date. Like, it's a very well-kept car, but maybe it's, like like, 20 years too old to be a modern car. You know what I mean? hmm So it's just sort of... Something's just off. And I know I keep saying that, but that's, that's the key, is that they're trying really hard to make it look like everything is the way that it should be, but it's not. And that's unsettling. Or they don't drive a car at all. That is also possible. They stand by cars a lot. So... What I thought would be kind of cool, I guess. Uh-huh. So they typically, this is also unsettling to me, is they typically travel in groups of three. Like they're very rarely, it's just one man in black. Mm. They typically travel in a pack. Hence men. Um, well, well, th- I think that's just a plural. Um, <laughs> okay. They're kind of this like trinity is it the Holy Trinity or the Evil Trinity? Who knows? Um, hmm. In the U.S., they drive 1950s-style black Cadillacs. And in the British Isles, it's 1960s-era black Jaguars. So again, like, they look almost brand new, but they're just not quite in the time. But they're also not quite, like, classic cars, like, from, like, car collectors, whatever. Hmm. Let's talk about Albert Bender. Okay. Who's that? So, buckle up. So, when it comes to men in black and sort of the paranoia behind UFO, ufology, I guess. When it comes to ufology and the fear of men in black kind of overtaking everything or just something meddling with your things Mm -hmm. it really tends to start with albert bender so albert bender was i guess like the the father of ufology if you want to say that um he was the first one to really talk about men in black let's say he's the father of the men in black story okay um because I guess Kenneth Arnold was sort of more UFO. So anyway, that's so whatever. That's beside the point. Mm. So Albert Bender was from Bridgeport, Connecticut. He had an experience on December 5th of 1945 when he was looking into the disappearance of Flight 19. So for those of you who don't know, 
Um, Flight 19 was a squadron of aircraft from the Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale, which is in Florida. Um, And all of the aircraft disappeared. And then... How many is that? It was either three or five. Five, I was correct. So, um, when Flight 19 and these five crew went missing, they obviously sent out people looking for them when they didn't come back from their flight. And the, yeah, the flying boat that went out to go look for them and potentially save them if they had, like, fallen in the water or whatever, also went missing. Oh. So this is... One of the biggest stories of the Bermuda Triangle Mm. is Flight 19. And as we all know, the Bermuda Triangle is a lot of alien stuff, supposedly. But basically, Albert Bender. I've been in the Bermuda Triangle. It was fine. For me. (laughs) Whatever you say, Jame. (laughs) The look she's giving me right now. So Albert Bender got really, really into the Flight 19 case and the paranormal aspects of it. Mm. And he was really into weird things. Me too. So basically... Not I mean, that Yeah, way. absolutely. <laughs> he... Well, some of us. <laughs> he ended up renovating the top floor of a three-story house that he was living in with his stepfather to be like his UFO room. So he used the attic to house all of his like paranormal books his newspaper clippings a telescope to scan for ufos and anything he could see he was also super into like ghosts and stuff and like black magic and all of that phenomena he also this is sort of a tangent but he also painted like a big portion of that attic because he was gonna turn it into like a walkthrough like House of Horrors. So he painted a bunch of really scary shit on the walls and then never actually ended up doing it. That sounds like mental illness. (laughs) He, I was just about to say, he had a lot of mental health issues. (laughs) But his entire family was interested in the paranormal aspect of things. Um, He had really intense, this is important to note, he had really intense obsessive compulsive disorder. Okay. (laughs) Specifically... In the sense that everything had its place, and if it was moved, even the slightest, he knew. Hmm. I am very similar. Yeah. My OCD is very categorical. Mm. And I used to, like, I used to come home and my mom would, like, have moved things around in the living room and I'd have full-blown panic attacks. Hmm. Because the lamp was no longer on the left side, it was on the right side. It just, like, it was... Baby Caitlin. You just... It was the... It's the weirdest explanation. I'm medicated for it now. It's fine. (laughs) But it's the weirdest thing. Like, you can walk in a room and be like, something's different. Mm. I feel it. And it can be like your pen's on the other side of the table. So this is what this man was experiencing. So just... That's just a little bit of an idea. Um, In December of 1950, he got really, really, really into it and ended up... Um, establishing what is called the International Flying Saucer Bureau in 1952. That's sick. Right. And he started publishing his own space magazine, which was called Space Review. 
which is <laughs> sick. But with the IFSB, he was able to look a lot more into smaller cases across the U.S. Um, and sort of make connections with other people who were interested in flying saucers, um, other people who had experiences in seeing UFOs, that sort of thing. And it ended up also including branches in Britain, branches in Australia. It was all over the place. That was a bit of a problem. So in July of 1952, so like a few months after, like the IFSB was founded in April, July, he gets a phone call. He answers it, he's home alone. No one said a word, but he was positive that there was someone at the other end of the line. All of a sudden, he got really, really dizzy, really, really ill. His head was throbbing and he had to go lay down. Hmm. Couple days later, he hangs up the phone, a couple days later, he's at his movie theater. Went to go see a sci-fi movie, not shocking. He's walking to the theater, or sorry, he's walking home from the theater when he feels like he's being watched. He can't really see anybody, but it's dark outside. There's dark pathways. He feels pretty positive that he's being watched. Yeah. He makes it home, no problem. Goes upstairs, and immediately he knows something's off. He opens the door, there's a smell of burning sulfur, and as he says, there's a shimmering object that's hovering in the middle of the room. And it starts to move around, and his eyes get really, really irritated, and he closes his eyes. He turns on the light, this strange thing that was hovering is gone. And very, very quickly, he knows that something in his room has moved, This thing has been touching things, moving things, whatever. And the files that he had kept for the International Flying Saucer Bureau had been absolutely ravaged. (gasps) Like somebody was looking for something. So he's freaking out, (laughs) obviously. Valid. (laughs) Yeah. He is trying to explain this a couple of times. Can't really get rid of that feeling. He goes back to the movie theater in November of 1952. He's at the theater when out of the corner of his eye, he sees this like human-esque thing show up. It's a well-dressed man in dark clothes. He did not fit in with what the locals would have been looking like. And Bender said his eyes glowed like flashlight bulbs. Ew. All of a sudden, just like on that phone call, sudden dizziness, swirling head, throbbing head, had to close his eyes because he thought he was going to vomit. When he opened his eyes, this weird man thing was gone. All of a sudden, he feels like he's being watched again. He turns around. The glowing-eyed thing is staring at him from across the room. This sort of thing continues on for months um, months. He has like, yeah, he has like migraines. He's got like dizziness all the time. And then it wasn't until about 1953 that he actually had a full on encounter 
with these men in black. So what Bender says, according to um, his book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, which is a sick name for a book. Yeah. He says, in August of 1953, he was in the attic. He was working on the October issue of Space Review. When that feeling came back again, he had that weird smell from when he had walked in the room before. A floorboard squeaked. No. He looked up, and that glowing-eyed man thing was there. Get out of here. Yeah, what the fuck? He motions him over to the other side of the room. No thanks. But Mm -mm. Albert gets up and goes. Dummy. Well... I I wouldn't like to do it, but I'd do it if they told me to. Uh, yeah, I guess. He realizes there's two more behind the guy. <gasps> their clothes were black. Their shoes were black. Their hats were black. Their gloves were gray. <laughs> Everything was spooky. Um, what a beautiful haiku. <laughs> <laughs> they formed a circle around him. No put their hands on his shoulders, and he passed out. Ew. Bender says that he got the opportunity to talk to these men in black, supposedly. And this is what they said to him. This is a direct quote from his book. You are charged to keep our secret. We do not wish to take extreme action, and you will find that you will often consider giving away some part of this information. When you get such thoughts... You will be reminded of the consequences by headaches, which will be almost unbearable to you. At such times, beware of more serious conditions we can bring about. So again, a major threat. Hmm. Bender, after this, would shut down the IFSB and was like, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm set. You're right. I won't deal with this. <laughs> yeah, which I think is completely fair. Mm-hmm. Bender ended up making... A lot of, I I mean, I can't say a lot of money, but he ended up coming up with a lot of material from this experience Mm -hmm. without giving away too much, obviously, because he wouldn't have wanted to take that risk. Um, But it seemed that everyone that was involved with Bender's story, including people who helped him with the book, including other people in the community, other people in the IFSB, had encounters with Men in Black, too. There's a million stories that I can go through. But that would take fucking forever. (laughs) So I will just say, if you guys are interested in hearing more close-up encounters with Men in Black, there's a book called The Real Men in Black by Nick Redfern. Mm. Its subtitle is Evidence, Famous Cases, and True Stories of These Mysterious Men and Their Connection to the UFO Phenomena. It is a fantastic book, and I have not been able to put it down. So. Promo. (laughs) Yeah, it is promo because it's fantastic and I think you will all love it. For free because I paid for the book. (laughs) This is the reverse of a sponsorship. Exactly. I'm tired of this. But that was the first real recorded interaction in modern times. And it just continued to spiral from there. What's interesting to me about Men in Black is the small, like the minor differences between cases. Where sometimes it's like that first story I told, where they are just slightly off, 
an alien. Mm. There's cases like Albert Bender's where they're almost paranormal. Mm-hmm. They have that sort of spiritual or demonic element about them where you're just like, oh man, I don't want to fuck with that. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes... Just a man in a suit. <laughs> like, maybe, perhaps, Harold Dahl's experience. Why, I'm so glad you mentioned it. So, as you mentioned, Harold. Um, mm-hmm. Not Arnold. No. Whom I mistaked previously. Anyway. Uh, this guy was on a conservation mission... <laughs> Uh, on the, I don't know how to say this, Puget, 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 Puget Sound, uh, near the eastern shore of Washington's Maury Island. He was gathering wood when he saw six donut-shaped things hovering about a mile above his boat. One of them fell, um, after a brief moment... Apparently, like, 1,500 feet, uh, you know, and then it was followed by rain, metallic debris, uh, some of which apparently hit uh, Harold's son, Charles, um, as well as the family dog, who didn't make it. Oh! Oh! Uh, R.I.P. I don't even get to know the dog's name, but... Oh my god. I'm so sorry, man. And Harold was able to take pictures of this aircraft on his camera, which he then showed to his supervisor, uh, Fred Chrisman. Chrisman? Mm-hmm. Chrisman was skeptical and went back to the scene of the crime to, to check it out for himself. And he too saw a strange aircraft. So, exciting, right? Wrong. The next incorrect. The next morning, somebody shows up at Harold's house. Who? A man Who in a could black it be? suit. <gasps> they ended up going to a local diner where the man was able to explain in exact detail what Harold had experienced. Um, and he was told not to speak of the incident if he did. Bad things were going to happen to him. But, hey, Harold spoke about it anyway, huh? (laughs) Sure sounds like it. That always seems to be the case. They're like, don't say anything. And then they're like, okay. And then, like, ten years later, they're like, so this happened. Like, is there a statute of limitations on alien stories? Yeah, how how long do we have? (laughs) Yeah, like, do you have to wait, like, ten years or what? Can you say it on your deathbed? Yeah. But you can find more of Harold's experience in the 1956 Gray Barker's book. They knew too much about flying saucers. Gray Barker is a very interesting man. What do you know And about his him? book... Well, his book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, has so many incredible stories. Mm. He is a major player in the ufology realm. I would love to be a ufologist. That's a real right? job. It is. And I want it. Ow. Do you have more to talk about? Not really. I just kind of want to talk about opinions and like what we think. But yeah, Gray Barker's big in the UFO scene. 
What's interesting about Gray Barker too is that he kind of, Gray Barker and this guy named um, Bender. No, it wasn't Bender. It was Becker. <laughs> Similar names, okay? Um, so Gray Barker was a part of um, the International Flying Saucer Bureau, actually, which was kind of cool. But um, Bender, Barker, where the fuck is the other guy? I don't know, it was Gray Barker that I was talking about. Anyway, one of Gray Barker's books had to do with the FBI. And he took a lot of um, creative liberties when it came to his books, but he was also a very smart author in that he didn't directly come out and say the FBI knows or the FBI doesn't know or the FBI was or wasn't involved. He was just like, oh, well, you never know. So around this time period, when um, J. Edgar Hoover was developing the Federal Bureau of Investigation, he had a weird thing about anything that was different and that was fundamentally racist, but it also included alien stuff. So there was a lot of speculation that these men in black were actually FBI agents or people in the government who had power and didn't want government secrets being leaked, didn't want potential distractions from, I don't know, airstrikes or secret operations to be happening and things to get leaked because of people whose, I guess, misguided interests were leading them a little bit closer than they needed to be. So Gray Barker was actually one of the first people to sort of talk about the FBI's introduction and the FBI's inclusion in these experiences, which is kind of why stuff like Men in Black, the film, has similar vibes to like FBI agents. Especially if you know anything about J. Edgar Hoover. He was a fucked up man. That checks out though. He I had would lots of crazy that. thoughts FBI, going on. They can be and sketchy sometimes. He, there were actual times when the FBI had to come out yeah. and say, we straight up were not involved in this. But do I believe it? No. Because who released last year all of the fucking stuff about UFOs? I, I don't know how I feel about that. I feel the like they FBI? had to release stuff. This is what I'm... This is what I was going to say. But I also believe all that stuff. So do I. But I feel like it's minor things that they were like, man, have a little taste so you'll shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then what else are they hiding? So much. If that's if that is our little taste. Oh, exactly. So when it comes to stuff like the men in black, like what are they hiding? What are they trying to protect? It's hiding directly under our noses. Exactly. Because they they make the movie. There's probably a comic book series. Mm-hmm. There's probably a book series about it. It's like it's like Harry Potter. It's just real. The, the, they're just hiding it under our exactly. noses. I don't know. I couldn't come up with a better... No, you got it. Yeah. Wizards are real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I believe in witchcraft. I will say yeah. that. Well, that's more definitive. Well, I don't know. I think it's more definitive than... Like paganism mm-hmm. and Wiccanism. <laughs> Wicca. <laughs> Wiccanity, you know. <laughs> um, 
Heck, even Satanism. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Well, that one's just a religion. But I, I'm, I'm also an atheist. Yeah. So I don't know. I think the elusiveness of the men in black is what makes them so creepy. Whether they're mm. FBI agents, whether they're aliens themselves, or whether they're some sort of paranormal entity that's linked. Because like Jamie said, they're not just seen at UFO sites. They're seen at... Um, like supernatural events like mothman they're seen at sites of like natural disasters it's weird connections so is it spiritual is it paranormal is it just something we don't understand yes fundamentally (laughs) yes it is something none of us understand but like i said it's that elusiveness and that sneakiness that makes them creepy because you never know what's lurking around the corner there's a few photos that have been captured of supposed men in black and this is actually what inspired the episode is i work at a job that has security cameras um that is all i'll say and the entrance doors to my job the security camera looks eerily similar to that one really famous video of men in black where they come in Mm -hmm. and they just walk kind of funny we'll link the video but i texted jamie and i was like oh my god it's like that thing And she was like, oh my god, it is like that thing. And then I was like, well, what would I do? We should do an episode. But I was like, well, what would I do if these unsettling men came in and started asking questions? And I cannot imagine how terrified I would feel. So I see these photos that people have caught after they've stalked men in black. And there's a really interesting story about that in the book that I recommended for you guys. um, That I won't read because I don't want to get copyrighted. They're just so, they make me so uneasy because it's almost creepier if they are just humans because they're right there in plain sight and that you'd think that someone in a suit and a fedora and all black would stick out, but they don't. Mm. And they they know everything. Whether they're lizard people or aliens or ghosts (laughs) or humans, they're spooky freaks. She's a spooky freak, spooky freak. I just think that the reason that men in black exist, if they exist at all, is to keep us from information that could be life-changing. And I sa- as, as I say it, I sound like a conspiracy theorist. I can hear it. A little. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that they're trying to keep this information <laughs> from us. And that's what keeps me so interested mm. in this topic is like, is it genuinely for the greater good that we don't know? Because I know it's like when you have kids, when you're working with kids, you don't need to tell them everything. They don't need to know. Sometimes things can be overwhelming. Yeah. Are we all just giant children that cannot process? I mean, look at COVID. The world lost their minds. Do you think we can handle aliens? Some of us, yes. But that's exactly... The rest, Exactly. The vast majority, probably good. I feel like especially, like, Gen Zs, they'll find... They're fine. Yeah, they'd be like, nah, whatever. They're like, aliens? Yeah, that checks out. (laughs) But, like, anyone over 40 is probably like... (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
kill it, kill it. <laughs> well, exactly, and then it then it turns into what, like what the the people in power, the ethics will... of the thing. It's a whole yeah. thing, but that and that's exactly why conversations like this and topics like this intrigue me so much because there's just so much to go into. And it's just being... You like alien politics. I like alien <laughs> politics. I hate... That's the only politics I enjoy. Exactly. I hate real politics. But bring me the ethics behind alien races, and I'm like, God, throw me in there. There's lots that leaves you thinking about Men in Black. It leaves mm. you questioning your sense of security. It leaves you questioning your sense of sanity. It leaves you questioning your sense of reality. And when you don't have reality, sanity... Or security, what do you have? Nothing. Exactly. Boom. That is all. That is that is my Thank you. That is my TED talk for today. A round of applause. Thank you. Thank you so much. No further questions. You're welcome. <laughs> Okay, I don't know how that went from TED Talk to courtroom, but <laughs> thank you, Your Honor. That was very enlightening. The defendant rests their case. Class dismissed. <laughs> okay. I've got nothing to add. This, you said more than I could. <laughs> I'm just here for the conspiracies. I'm here for the ride. Well, thank you for partaking in another week of Caitlin Talks Pointless Things and Jamie throws in her two cents. Chichink. You're welcome. Love it. <laughs> we would love to hear your opinion on Men in Black. If you would like to see some pictures of Men in Black caught on film, we'll have those up on our Instagram. I've got some really cool ones from the book. Um, so I'm really excited to share those. Um, you can check out our Instagram and our Twitter at Creeps and Coffee. If you'd like to share your thoughts and get in touch with us, you can connect with us on our email, which is creepsandcoffee at gmail.com. Or if you would like to help support the show, help fuel our coffee-induced sessions. Today it was Red Bull, actually. Um, you can help support the show at our Buy Me a Coffee page. I had air. Nice. <laughs> you can support the show so Jamie can afford more than air. Uh, or buy me a coffee page which is buymeacoffee.com slash creeps and coffee yeah that's it for us today thank you so much for joining please try not to get abducted by aliens I know it's out of our control but tinfoil helps and if you do let us know try not to get probed unless you're into that uh, I was gonna say unless it's consensually boom have fun use lube bye, bye. <laughs>